Don't swipe left, ladies. I could be the love of your life. This is where the money is. Hey everybody, welcome to a Tuesday edition of Where the Money Is. That means it's all consumer goods, and with me today is Sean O'Reilly. Say hi to the people, Sean. Morning, everybody. How's your day going, bud? Awesome. Yeah. Got so my far, coffee, so my uh-huh. son was smiling. <laughs> your, son, your son was smiling. How old is he now? Uh, five months, actually. Adorable. In two days. That means the smile's not just farts, right? That exactly. means it's like he's actually he's like, happy oh, to see no, you. I didn't just relieve myself. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's love. That's what love is. Uh, we've got a lot to get to today, but we're going to start, as we always do, with the headlines. And our first headline is about Coca-Cola. Could this one drink save Coca-Cola and the entire soft drink industry? By our very own Ted Cooper. Now, in Ted's article, he discusses this new Coke product called Coke Life, which replaces all the aspartame that you find in a lot of Cokes, and, or every Coke, and it uh, replaces it with four tablespoons of real sugar and stevia to make it a bit healthier. And, by the way, the can is green. First and foremost, is a green can Coke going to sell? Is this new Coke all over I again? I feel a little misled because I thought this would give me, oh, I don't know, eternal youth right. or just something. You would I think. I was like, oh, this is, they finally came up with a magic elixir. Coke that's how life. Coke started. This right. is great. Um, that's actually, I, when I read the contents and everything, I was like, oh, this is basically the Coke that they sell in Latin America. Yes, yes. You know, they, you can buy the Latin American Mexican Coke bottles at Costco and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually tastes different. I mean, it tastes like it has real sugar, so I kind of liked it and everything. But anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, this is a great article. I like the direction Coke's going because they're increasingly having all this competition from, I don't know, teas, like anything else that's not sodas. Right. So, well, everyone's you know. everyone's handing on soda these days because everyone's becoming more health conscious. Uh, everyone used to drink Diet Coke because it had fewer calories and therefore was believed to be healthier until everyone realized that the sweeteners in them not are so not so <laughs> great for you. Right. And that's why you look across U.S. soda sales, down in the last nine years, sales have dropped 3% in 2013, 1.2% in 2012. They're already down 2% this year alone. We're barely halfway through the year, and they're almost down as much as they were last year total. That's just crazy. So is Coke Life going to turn that around? It's kind of like Diet Coke in the 80s. Hmm. I don't want to say cannibalizing, but basically kind of replacing sales from Coke. Right. It's not going to save the soda industry, but it'll keep it where it's at, mm. I think. That's the potential there. Mm. Um, love the direction they're going, but this won't like blow up their North American business or make help them take over the world or something like that. It'll keep them where they are domestically and then help them expand abroad. So mm. it's a good way to replace and run in place where they are here. Not going to... That's well said. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's not. It's not going to turn fifty percent exactly. double earnings or something. Exactly, yeah. and like you said, uh, it's already available in Argentina and Chile. They're releasing it in the UK this fall. No plans to bring it to the US just yet, but eventually, it probably will I hit had, our uh, shores. I saw some tweets and everything. Some people making fun of the name. I was like, "What's wrong with the name?" That's Coke Life. It's not a bad name. It's catchy. I was fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what's the problem here? Not so bad. All right. uh, Second headline. Still talking about soda. Three reasons why SodaStream is falling flat by Chad Hanaj. Good old Chad. Uh, Let's go through these three reasons that he breaks down for us. Number one. Keurig and Coke, are they truly a threat? Now, Coke has a 16% share uh, stake in Keurig now. They keep now. buying more. <laughs> I know, it's only going to go up, which indicates that the biggest player in soda is taking an interest in this at-home uh, carbonated for beverage sure. market. Yeah. Is that the death knell for SodaStream? It doesn't help mm. because for years they were saying, oh, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine, we got all this. And 
technically they did. We got this huge market opportunity in North America because most of their sales, that's an Israeli company, right. most of their sales happen in you know, Western, Eastern Europe and all that. Right. So for years and years, they're like, oh, we're fine. We got all this North American opportunity. And now it's like, small. is the door shutting? Like, that's what everybody's wondering. I mean, Coke and Keurig may very well be shutting that door. Uh, the, the new Keurig cold isn't supposed to come out th- until, I think, uh, 2015, if yeah. I have that correct. So SodaStream still has a little bit of breathing room. But when that hits the market, I don't know what's going to happen to SodaStream. Uh, number two, starter kit sales are down 25% year over year. So when you buy a SodaStream, you spend $80, you buy the mixer, you buy the CO2, you buy the beverage uh, mixes, uh, and then that that high initial cost makes you want to keep buying more uh, refill packs right. to make up for that high That's initial cost. But with kits already down so that, far... That number was the most troubling startling. of the three. Absolutely. That's bad. No competition <laughs> on the market, and it's still down 25%. Yeah. Now, another uh, another stat that he had in his article that Chad had, refill sales are up 15%. So it would seem that the people who have the starter packs or who have the mixers are in fact refilling, they are in fact buying those refills. It's just fewer and fewer people are buying that initial starter pack. And like we said, Keurig and Coke about to hit the market in a year or so. I don't see sales going up when that happens, you know what I mean? Uh, And last but not least, uh, SodaStream spent more than 50% of its revenue on selling general and administrative expenses. Compare that to Keurig, which is 18%. Now, is that okay for SodaStream? It's still kind of in a a growth phase, whereas Keurig is a little more established. Or is that, I mean, 50%, that's not a small number. Is that bad? You could go on and on about, um, because like if Peter Thiel were in the room, he'd be like, I always want to own a company that, um, this is a guy that, you know, venture capital. Right. Start PayPal, invested in Facebook early on. He would be like, I actually want to own a business that's losing money because it's constantly investing in its operations. Hmm. So I'm sure he loves Jeff Bezos over at Amazon and all that. So he would be like, okay, this is fine. This is what they have to do. And arguably they have to do this. They have to spend all this money. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure a component of that was just taking a hit on discounts and all this stuff. So right. I don't know. It is what it is. They have to do it. Is it good? No. They want to make money. <laughs> but... Got to do what you got to do. Got to do what you got to do. Okay, all that said, are you going to invest in Soda? If you could invest in SodaStream right now or a year from now, which would you rather do? That's tricky. Right. Our own Whitney Tilson, who used to work right for The Fool, like, gosh, 15, 20 years ago wow, now, yeah, yeah. Um, he came out with a bullish case recently for SodaStream that I was more or less on board with because you basically have two businesses. You mm. have this legacy business in Europe where... Every European that loves carbonated water uses a soda stream machine. Mm-hmm. Boom, you got your soda or carbonated water, you're good to go. Right. Then they don't even really use flavors. So there's that. So you got that business. That's worth, I mean, that's a solid business. That's worth 15, 20, 25 times earnings. So that's great. Right. Then you've got plus all the North American growth. That window is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So if it were to keep falling, I'd become increasingly interested. Hmm. Um I don't think it'll... In a year, we'll either know if North America is going to be an opportunity or not. So, right. I don't know. Now's the time if you're going to do it. Now's the time. Might as well dive in. All right. Last but certainly not least for headlines, why Groupon has plummeted more than 40% in 2014 by Andres Cardinal. Now, according to Andres, the reason Groupon has plummeted more than 40% is just basic uncertainty. It doesn't know where it's going. We have the Groupon coupons. That's right. their classic business. Now, they're also expanding into Groupon goods and Groupon getaways. By the way, have you ever used either of those services? No, but if I'm ever in the market for 64 razor blades, I will definitely consider <laughs> it. <laughs> well said, well said. Okay, so Groupon, it seems like it's trying to become the new Amazon. The problem is old Amazon is still pretty darn strong. Right. Is Groupon just 
banging its head against the wall at this point? Or so is I went over to the website mm-hmm. and I looked at all the products they have available in bulk. And for our listeners and viewers that don't know, they're basically offering a couple hundred products mm. in bulk, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of I I wasn't that impressed. Okay, so it's very much a niche kind of a. Hey, you want 64 razor blades? <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. Um, that being said, I do think their coupon uh, standard business, I, I was just forced by my mother-in-law to purchase one for a family photo. So she's like, okay, give me $80 for this coupon. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I um, want to see my grandson now. Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. And uh, Hi, Diane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's fine. It's a good idea. And it was actually a really good deal if you look at the original price. So there's something there. Um, I'm not sure about this. Buying, like they didn't have enough products. I was like, right. It, it just it blows me away too. The the numbers are good. Uh, sales grew twenty twenty six percent first quarter twenty fourteen. North American sales are up twenty seven percent. Active customers probably the most important for metric sure. for this company yeah. up twenty four percent year over year. So it's not like no. <laughs> well, I mean uh, clearly if you bought something, I brought uh, a friend of mine bought a Groupon getaway to Iceland next Whoa. year. Yes, really. So people are using this service. It's not it's not dying by any stretch of the imagination. But its future is so uncertain right now. Like you said, the Groupon Goods segment of their company, which they're putting so much effort into, it's not there yet. It's not built out. Yeah, that was my thing. Because I went, if you want something, mm. you know Amazon will have it. Right. You know. For cheaper, yeah, probably. Like, undisputed Amazon will have it. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of like, eh, on a whim. Purchasing 64 razor blades. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. How long that last? <laughs> uh, for someone like me, like a week or two. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to our in focus segment for today. Uh, today we're taking a look at Darden Restaurants. Now that may not be a familiar name for many of our listeners, much like Yum Brands might not be. But you all know Taco Bell, you all know KFC. Those are Yum Brands. Darden is the company that oversees Red Lobster, Olive Garden, Longhorn Steakhouse. All those kind of uh, mid-range sit-down restaurants that we all know. We've probably all stepped foot into a Red Lobster at some point in our yeah. lives. But these days, it actually has been cutting back on the, the brands that it owns. It just sold Red Lobster last month for about $2 billion. Why did they sell one of their biggest brands? Um, all of their largest brands, because they own Olive Garden, they own Red Lobster, and then they have smaller brands like Bahama Breeze, mm. Capital Grill. Mm. The smaller brands, unfortunately, are doing extremely well. Mm. I'm sure you saw in the report, like, they all had comps go up, they were awesome and all this. Um, they've been under fire from activist investors basically saying, you guys got to up your operations because their biggest brands are not doing well. Red right. Lobster, Olive Garden, the brand that they wound up, and we'll circle back to this in a minute, picking to go with, mm-hmm. that had comps drop. I mean, it's rough. Right. Speaking of comps, same-store sales for Olive Garden fell 3.4% fiscal wow. year 2014. Yeah. Red Lobster fell 6%. Right. So they got rid of the worst business, I guess. But a lot of, like you said, activist investors, a lot of their shareholders are going, why the hell did you hang on to Olive Garden? Right. It's almost as bad. And if you look at it, with Red Lobster gone, Olive Garden now makes up 58% of Darden's revenue. That They have to turn that operation around. Can they? Um, okay, so here's the deal. Um, <laughs> the stock fell, and this is going back a couple of months, when they announced the sale of Red Lobster because just the market and all its wisdom wanted either a REIT spin-off of its real estate assets or they wanted more money for Red Lobster, who knows. Right. Um, the management, to their credit, spent a lot of time thinking about which pony to bet on. Hmm. Okay, at the end of the day, and this sounds simplistic, but they realized that basically pasta is cheaper to make than <laughs> fish. Right? I, fish costs are going up, and you go to a you know grocery store, salmon fillet is like six dollars for a pound. Like, what are we going to do here? Mm-hmm. So, um, and. 
they had two struggling ponies. They picked technically the stronger struggling ponies you saw with the comps. Right. But um, basically the way the stock is priced now, it's pricing in. I mean, it's at 18, 19 times this year's expected earnings. Mm-hmm. They're going to buy back stock, pay down debt. They actually just announced the big tender offer for some debt today or the other day. Um, so it's either pricing in a turnaround at Olive Garden or some kind of a rate spinoff. It's kind of rich at this point. Right. And it looks like from the, as you said, management, it sounds like they're putting a lot of effort into Olive Garden. They're doing better staff training. They're doing for facelifts sure. for some of the older restaurants. Right. They're updating the menu. Is all that enough to that's get me into take, an Olive Garden? That's going to take a couple years. Right. Uh, it's off. not a quick turnaround yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I haven't been to an Olive Garden personally in a very long time. A while. Yeah. yeah. You? That was, I don't know, that was the kind of the restaurant you took a girl in high school on her right. date, you know, like 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> Only the classiest for the O'Reilly yeah. gals. Oh, man. All right, so you are, are you betting on Darden, uh, or are you just staying away? I am such a value-conscious person, it's really hard for me to see a ton of value here. Hmm. I don't think you're going to lose a ton of money here, because I think that, and I'm sure, our, uh, if they're not, they should be, um, our viewers are aware, Activist uh, investor firm, um, da, 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 oh, Starboard Value, mm-hmm. they're making a play for every single board seat hmm. at, ne- at the annual meeting that's coming up. So okay. they are still not happy. They want a REIT spinoff. They want them to sell Olive Garden. They want something. Right. Um, so, I mean, you're either going to have that happen or you're going to wait a couple of years for the Olive Garden to turn around. And mm-hmm. at its current, if it fell 50%, let's go. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? But right, I just don't see a ton of value. It's pretty fairly priced. I agree. So... All right, uh, let's move on to our favorite segment, the 10K Breakdown. Here at The Fool, we like to educate, amuse, and enrich. And, of course, education is a huge part of what we do. So we're going to dive into the 10K, the quarterly report that a company has to file with the SEC. In this case, we're going to dive into the Container Store. Friend of The Fool, Kip. Uh, the CEO and the founder of the uh, Container Store was just in here a couple of weeks ago. Yep, and uh, for, our, for our listeners that don't know, you are, were one of the interviewers. Kip Tindall so, and I, we're, just, nice we're, we're BFFs. Where, He's a really cool guy, yeah. Yeah, where did you guys go to lunch that day? Oh, we just had some barbecue over here. It was, okay, uh, it was cool. sweet fire donnas, gotta love it. Uh, but yeah, Kip Tindall came in, we got to chat about some of the things that make the Container Store great, but let's dive into the report. You found 10 highlights from their most recent 10K that you want to talk about. Yeah, and I was actually really excited to do this because you did the interviewing, so I'm sure you're more knowledgeable. Knowledgeable the average, than the average person about the container store. But did you know mm. that the container store goes out of their way to point out that they have no competition in their annual report? Yes, that was one Isn't thing that, that, that was one thing that Kip talked about a lot. So a lot of the questions were, how are you going to deal with Amazon? How are you going to deal right. with Walmart? How are you going to deal with big box stores when you're the one selling the big boxes? And he boxes? had this look on his face like, I don't really worry about I'm not it. worried. <laughs> he, he didn't care. He doesn't care about those companies. He cares about his company making it the best thing possible. Yep. I like that. Yeah, they actually say in it, we're the original and leading specialty retailer of store and organization products in the United States and the only national retailer solely devoted to the category. So they actually come out and say, we're alone. I mean, it's kind of funny. I can't think of anyone else who's selling nope. fancy boxes. Uh, Target sells bins. but Target sells bins, but they sell like $2 bins. Right. Container store so. sells those fancy $20 bins. Oh, man. People pay up for them, man. Made in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. All right, uh, number two. Um, the annual report, and I'm sure you remember this from the interview, there's actually a shout-out to John Mackey mm-hmm. and Conscious Capitalism. Mm-hmm. They actually say, We foster an employee-first culture built around conscious capitalism and our foundation principles, and the con- uh, conscious capitalism 
shout out there actually has a little trademark R and everything. Nice. So it was really funny that they, I mean, they're probably the only company out there that does that. Yeah, uh, Kip, Foods, Kip and Mackey, yeah, they're, they're very much the, the conscious capitalists of our age. They're probably the leaders in that. Sure. Although, yeah. To be fair, Tom Garner, the fool's own Tom Garner, he's a yep. very much, a very into the, the conscious capitalism. John Mackey's a board member here at the fool. Yep. Full disclosure. Full disclosure, exactly. So, so we too are right there with them. But you're very correct. Uh, uh, the Container Store is not afraid to put conscious capitalism at the yep. forefront. Yeah, and they you, have a little trademark R there. Right, right. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you got to appreciate that. I like that. Okay, number three. Um, the Container Store, uh, how many states are they in? Uh, I'm going to go high 40s. Let's say 48, the contiguous United States. This is why I brought this up. They're just in 22 states what? in the District of Columbia. What? Isn't that surprising? I was like, There's oh, one in D.C.? How have I not been there? Anyway, why only 22? They are still in growth mode, man. Hmm. Um, you look at their income statement, their cash flow statement, their cash from operations is like, give or take $50 million. Hmm. 45 went to new property plant and equipment. And as you remember from the interview, he's like, yeah, we're still growing. We're still, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just 22 states. Hmm. Those unlucky other states. Yep, what are they, they, they don't have containers. What are they, do, what are they putting their stuff in? What, what will they do? Oh, my How God. How will they organize? Their closets. <laughs> oh, the horror. All right, next point. Um, believe it or not, and this is actually more prevalent in uh, their Manhattan stores, but they actually have a curbside pickup and delivery service code Go Shop exclamation point, click, and pick up, which accounted for 4% of sales last year. Uh, so you can go online, mm-hmm. click buy your bin, mm-hmm. go to the store, a guy will come out to your car, Put it in your trunk. You drive away. Handy. Awesome. I like that. I, know. I like that a lot. Yeah. And it's interesting that you see a lot of other stores, maybe not to that extent, but they're trying stuff like For that. For sure. Uh, yeah. Looking, looking San Francisco. All that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Amazon Fresh. All that. Uh, that's interesting that a uh, container store is also yeah. doing that. Like, I, I like that. I like that a lot. If I was yeah. a busy Manhattanite, I think I'd appreciate that. Um, the uh, number five. The company is helping foster a Swedish invasion. Um, the company owns Alpha, mm. based in Malmo, Sweden, and they make all of their component-based shelving and drawer systems that the company offers in their stores. Um, the container store, now they own all of Alpha, but mm-hmm. um, Alpha also sells direct-to-consumer products, but the container store made up 40, uh, 39%, 40% of uh, Alpha's sales, while the other 61% is made you know, just selling people to go to the Alpha website right. or whatever. So, right. yeah. Almost an Ikea factor there. For sure. I, yeah. I, I, we like our European-made furniture. That's very true. Yeah. It's incredible what the Swedes can do with some wood. Quality. My gosh. <laughs> All right, number six. Um, how many products does the container store offer? Ooh. I'm going to go 1,000. Higher. Higher? How many? 10. 10? My goodness. Yep. 10,000 10, different items. Because think about like, all the little Oh, all the, all the little yeah, knickknacks, yeah, all the doodads. All yeah. ah, interesting. 10,000. 10,000 things to organize your life are available to you. I mean, I got to appreciate the wide spectrum of, uh, of products. What was the... Somebody asked uh, the CEO when he was here his favorite product, and it was like something that goes in your luggage that he was talking about. Do you remember Yes, that? it was like an organizer for your suitcase. Yeah. Um, I forget what he... I, I'm sure the product had a right. name, but I forget what yeah. it was. But yeah, I like that. I liked also uh, uh, fellow fool Lee Burbage pointed out that you could, at the container stores, there are drawers like set up like you would find in your kitchen where you could put in the products you're thinking of buying and Try test it out. It out. Yeah. yeah. I, li- I mean, it's just, it's thoughtful things like that. The wide range of products, the ability to test things out, just the little things like helping make your suitcase more organized. People shop there. That's and, why. And you have to do that if you're going to charge a premium price. So, Absolutely. Boom. Yeah. yeah. All right. 
Um, their stores are becoming increasingly profitable. Hmm. Um, I actually went into the interview like, oh, this thing's overvalued or whatever, but their stores are every quarter getting more and more profitable. Okay, so basically since the depths of the Great Recession, mm-hmm. four or five years ago, the container store has achieved comparable store sales growth for the past 15 quarters, just short of four years, and the average ticket price has increased over that time period 18.9%. Not bad. So that's that's pretty slick. It's not bad at all. That's yeah. yeah. There's not a lot of retailers I can think of that have pulled that off. Very true. You look at Target, so, you look at Walmart, those aren't the numbers you're seeing from those right. companies. Hmm. So yeah. Very interesting. Uh, number eight. We already covered that they're in twenty two states. How hmm. many stores are in those twenty two states? How many stores total? Uh, let's say I don't know, let's say two per state. So let's say forty four. a uh, little higher, sixty two. Okay. So yeah. Interesting. It's right, still a yeah. pretty small number. You look no, at it is, you look for at sure. Walmart and Target. Like we said, thousands of stores out yeah, there. My no, goodness. Absolutely. Huh. The um and uh, shout out to the interview. And also, they say this in the annual report. The uh, company thinks that the United States can handle three hundred. Wow. Container stores. So any four any or five times. Any yeah. timeline on that sort of growth? They okay. So yeah, they do hmm. believe it or not because this is actually kind of unusual. But they basically think that um, they can grow their square footage by twelve percent a year for the foreseeable future. <sighs> Jeez. So you factor that into the comparable store sales growth yeah. and not a bad combination. That's kind of cool. That's very interesting. So, All right. Yeah. Next point. Uh, number nine, the company talks, this is about the only company I've ever seen do this, mm. uh, the company talks about their social media presence in the 10K that they file with the SEC. Ben Graham would love this, right? <laughs> um, they go out of their way in the 10K to point out that as of March 1st, they had 283,000 likes on Facebook, mm-hmm. 29,500 followers on Twitter, and over 47,000 followers on Pinterest. Okay, Pinterest, I can oh, see. Man. Pinterest, I'm not surprised by. Love these drawers. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a huge user of Pinterest, but I can see the Pinterest users loving their container store. Nick Like, yeah. A, a, an asset on the company's balance sheet is the number of likes they have. I mean, <laughs> certainly not a, a hard asset, that's for sure, but, but there is something to be said for popularity. I, it's, it's becoming clear to me as you go through this 10K, you think container store, you think boxes, which are a commodity. You right. can, like you said, you can buy boxes at Target, you can buy boxes anywhere. But it's becoming very clear from the things you're saying, how they're still in such a growth phase, how they're so profitable, how so many people like them. It's a premium product in for a way. Sure. The, the, the yeah. stuff they're selling is almost a luxury good. At least that's the way some people look at it. And that just that blows me away. Yep. That's, that's not sure. a bad business to be in. All right, is this number 10? Yes, Let's number 10. Um, the number 10 thing that I found interesting was uh, the company has a risk cited in the annual report that basically they are subject to currency exchange rate fluctuations. Okay. You guess which currency they have to worry about day in and day out. Let's go, what's Sweden? Would that be Euro? The Corona. The Corona. You okay. guessed right. All right, all right. Yeah, thank you. The yeah. Corona, though. Why, yeah. How much is coming out of Sweden for that? Um, 22% of their U.S. dollar merchandise purchases for the container store's stores were originally made in Swedish Corona for its, from its Alpha segment. Huh. So, interestingly enough, in any given year, it actually isn't that big of a deal. So, this past year, they actually had a gain. So, the dollar rose against the corona right. by $648,000. Hmm. The last time they took a hit, though, was fiscal year 2012. They had a $3.8 million hit to their income statement because Ouch. of the corona gaining. Yowza. So, yeah. That's something to keep in mind. Yeah. All right, so all those highlights put together. Are you a fan of the container store? I am. I, me too. Yeah. Uh, honestly, even just hearing the highlights, For I can... Sure. I can see why we chose the container store. I can see why Kit Tyndall came on in here to For chat sure. with us. Yeah. All right, nice choice, man. Nicely done. Yeah, no I learned so much. Uh, all right, let's move on to our mailbag segment. And if you ever want to participate in our mailbag segment, just send us an email at cg@fool.com. Today's mailbag is from Max. 
Why have shares of WWE been pile-driven, pile-drove, into the ground recently? Can they turn around? The most important point in this question. Which one? Past tense of pile-drive. Pile-driven sounds about right. I don't know. He pile-drove. Who who knows? When when you were a teenager, Mm preteen, were you into world wrestling? You know, it's funny. (laughs) I was not... And now I am. Now I watch oh, WWE. Right. You had that mask that one time. I had the mask for my last video. Yeah. I love me some Sheamus. Do you ever? Uh, do you, I mean, do you? Want, oh yeah, Sheamus. He, he's great. The Brogue kick, the Celtic cross. Oh, he's got such great. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, the, he's the Irish one. You should know. You're Sean I O'Reilly. Uh, you should definitely know about Sheamus. Anyway, to answer Max's question, first and foremost, why have shares gone down so far recently? What do you they, think? Earlier this year, they had a huge run-up. The stock, if you could look back like 10, 15 years, it just ranged between 10 and 20 bucks right. the whole time. Ran up to as high as 30 on hopes that their new deal with NBC Universal would be super profitable. Right. They're actually comparing the WWE and they track followers. Hmm? They are the second highest sport in terms of followers behind the NFL. I believe that. They've got like 50 million people that I, like it. And WWE's been around. It's, isn't it it's like one of the longest really, yeah, running no, shows on sure. cable or something like that? One, longest running every, every time I see a commercial for it on TBS, I'm like, this thing's still going, man. Right. No. <laughs> it, it's almost like the container store. You think it was just some some bum product, and instead right. and people it's love it's it. It's big business. Yes, now. but to your point, so uh, they tried to make the deal with NBC. Yeah, so what happened? The thinking was like, the NFL deal with NBC was like $8 billion. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, man, if they just got a fraction of that, right. they got a small fraction of that. Right. Womp womp. <laughs> um, so that happened. There's a bright spot potentially there. They're trying to create kind of a Netflix for world wrestling entertainment right. off their website. Mm-hmm. 10 bucks a month gets you not only access to their live events, which they need. They have 630,000 subscribers currently paying 10 bucks a month for this service. Right. They need 1.3, 1.4 million to replace losses from pay-per-view. Right. But um, you also get 1,500 hours of old events. Mm, interesting. On demand. Okay. Right? You can watch some Andre the Giant, some And Hulk. we're seeing this trend. I, I was interested in this. I just really started diving into WWE yesterday because increasingly we're finding, and I, I see this in you know my own life, I want stuff when I want it, and I just want to go to Netflix and click play, and that's it. Yeah. I don't like commercials. I don't like, you know. I don't like, like pay-per-view. I've yeah. never done yeah, pay-per-view. It's 50 dollars It's 45 for, uh, Yeah, I looked yeah. this up. 12 pay-per-view events. It's $45 per view compared to 10 bucks a month. 10 bucks a month, $120. If you're a devoted fan. Easy choice. You know? Easy choice. But like you said, that leaves such a gap between the people who are paying for pay-per-view, $45 per event, to, compared to $10 per right. month. There's such a wide expanse uh, in terms of margins for WWE right. there that they, like you said, they need 1.2, 1.3 million people yeah, just I to cover that. About this. Full disclosure, I haven't done a ton of diving. I still want to talk to the company, mm-hmm. listen to a few conference calls. But I was just thinking about it, and their statement was there's at least 50 million U.S. households with at least one person in the household that's interested in it. Yep. You're going to tell me out of those 50 million households with one person that likes world wrestling... You can't get 1.5 million of yeah. them. That's like three percent. Those households can't spend ten dollars a month. Like, They're already doing that with Netflix. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm interested. Six hundred seventy people. Six hundred seventy thousand people have signed up for WWE Network so far. They need 1.2 million to break even. That's about double from where they are. Right. Do you think they can do it? I do. I do too. Yeah. You know, like you said, the, the enduring popularity of this sport for sure. is is big enough that I can see that happening. 
The um, other thing they haven't tapped, and um, the company notes in their 10K, and I still want to see some numbers about how interested people are overseas are interested, but they talk hmm. about international a decent amount because they really haven't gone international with this thing at all. Very so. true. Very true. Yeah. Seamus, he's going to lead the charge over in Ireland. Oh, gosh. All right, <laughs> let's wrap up with some tweets. I checked out Twitter this morning. Here's what I found from the Financial Times. Thousands of people march in Tokyo to denounce a landmark shift in security policy by Shinzo Abe, the prime minister of uh, Japan. He, You know what? He's trying. You can't He's deny that. Moxie. He's got some interesting ideas. This one, I mean, this one's a little, little different from his economic policy, but basically it, Japan has been a pacifist country since World War II ended. Right. Back 69 years ago, they haven't fired a single shot at any other country in the last 70 years. That's a pretty rare thing for a very modern, right. uh, a, a very important country like Japan to say. Now Shinzo Abe is thinking about saying, we're not going to go to war, but if we can support our allies, if, if North Korea shot a missile at a U.S. base in the Pacific, we can help shoot right. it down, that sort of thing. And people are freaking out about it, man. They are, they're protests of the wazoo in Japan right now. As an American taxpayer, I like this because yeah. a legacy of World War II is we're technically responsible for depend- defending Japan. True. So, yeah, you got to like the save us a little money, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. All right. Uh, tweet number 2 from Silver Age TV. On this date in 1956, Elvis Presley appeared on the Steve Allen show. He sang Hound Dog to a real Bassett hound. I, I just like to that make picture. that photo my Facebook. Picture. Right? It's a great picture. That is a fantastic. It just picture. it caught my eye when I was looking at Twitter this morning. I, how can we not have that on? Ain't nothing is but a hound YouTube? dog. I find this. Maybe. Uh, everything's on YouTube these well, days. Okay. Like, let's be real. Yeah. Uh, we are as well. Follow us. Uh, last but not least, from our very own Taylor Muckerman, will today join the 4th of July in the pantheon of American victories. Hashtag U.S. Men's National Team. Hashtag USA. Hashtag yeah. USA versus Belgium. 4 o'clock today, USA versus Belgium. Belgium's a good team, but we got Josie back. We got to beat them. We got to beat them. I think we're That's the only option. I think we're all right. For Sean O'Reilly, I'm Mark Reed. Thanks for watching another Consumer Goods edition of Where the Money Is. And again, if you ever want to send us questions or participate in the show, send us an email at cg at fool.com. We'll see you next week.